This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our professional and personal lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. I'm Christina Mendonca. Thanks for being here. Today, we're talking about the power of money with a man who makes his living caring for other people's money. Now, he has his own firm, a national show, a very successful uh, writing career. We're going to learn more about Philip Palumbo's view on money, business, and entrepreneurship in a moment. First, I wanted to tell you about two books I'm reading right now that really has started to put money at this time in my life in perspective, and they might help you as well. I'm reading them both after we just made a big move. My husband and I sold our home of over 20 years where we raised our kids and we moved to a rental. And the time was right, the market was right, and we don't quite know yet what the future holds in terms of our next permanent thing. So renting just made sense for us. We're in a home that was built in the 1980s when my husband and I were both in high school, he in Colorado and me in Northern California. The house reminds us so much of that time in our lives that we call it our time capsule. He joked to me after we moved in that it feels like we're house sitting for one of our neighbors back in the 80s. It's been maintained beautifully, but it has these characteristics of the 80s that a lot of homes had, whether they were built in Colorado or California or wherever in the country. It has an old-fashioned intercom system with a cassette player in each room built into the wall. It has this 80s-style wet bar and then the cathedral-beamed ceilings. And we are loving it, and it takes us back to this time in our lives where the future was unknown and full of possibilities. I think that's why every time we walk into the house, both of us have just expressed that we feel good here. We really like it. We feel that way, I think, at at this point in our lives. Like, there are so many possibilities ahead of us. Will we end up moving out of state? Will we find something we fall in love with and stay here? What do we want the next 20, 30, or 40 years of our lives to look like? It is the burning question of mid-age and something we will delve into with my guest today. Now, as for the books I told you about, one is audio, one is hard copy. The audiobook is Can You Can Retire Sooner by Wes Moss. The book is about attaining financial freedom, and it's just a wealth of information for people of any age. And I won't say I'm not looking to retire. I'm not looking to retire right now, for sure. Um, But it does remind me to tell my own kids, start saving now, like right now, like this moment. Because Moss says in this book, a dollar saved at the age of 20 is 24 bucks by the time you're 60. If you save that same dollar at 50, it's $2 by the time you're 60. So that compounding thing is real. The other book I'm reading is Ikigai by Hector Garcia and Francis Morales. It's the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. Ikigai means reason for being. The French have a name for it. I'm going to just I'm going to just massacre this name. Raison d'être. It's the reason for life, the reason for being, and it's why we get up in the morning. There is a ton of simple wisdom in this book from the longest living societies and how to kind of find your reason for being or maybe your new reason for being if you're looking to make that transition in midlife. 
it's just a good one to read by the pool or before you drift off at night to have some really good self-exploratory dreams. So now to our guest. And that kind of set the table for him to talk about finances and moving into the next part of your life, no matter what that is. Over the past 20 years, Phil Palumbo has held senior roles with several major financial institutions. He left to start the Palumbo Wealth Management Group. He has lectured, he's taught several thousands of families and individuals throughout his career at a major university on subjects such as retirement and investment planning, tax, uh, estate, trust planning, all of that, family governance, asset protection. He has 20 years of experience managing money over some of the most difficult, volatile market periods in history. And today, he talks about incorporating these concepts that he's developed of ikigai. Uh, He doesn't call it that, but it's basically you know, your reason for being, he helps his clients find that and he works with them to make sure their money supports that. It's been such a crazy, volatile time in the markets lately, though. I had to start by asking him to explain why things are so volatile right now. Sure is a a volatile time, you know, at at a minimum. So, I mean, you know, what I tell a lot of people, clients, whether it's the media, is when you think about what the Fed is about to embark on or is, is embarking on, is he, he's raising interest rates, number one, right? Not by just 0.25%, but by 50 basis points, which he, which he, com- he went completely hawkish on, meaning that he became very aggressive in terms of what he needs to do to try to bring inflation down. So that's the first thing he's doing is to try to increase interest rates to try to try to drive down inflation, just like Paul Volcker did in 1979, 1980, 1981, where inflation at the time was comparable to where we are today. And he had to drive up interest rates to basically cool the economy down to slow demand down, which Powell fed current fed, fed chair Powell right now believes ultimately if you slow down demand, that'll slow down the economy and bring down inflation. So that's one thing that he's doing is raising interest rates, right? Mm-hmm. The second thing that Powell is doing is he's no longer buying bonds every month. So in 2008, they started what's called quantitative easing, where they bought bonds, treasury bonds, and mortgage-backed securities. The treasury, bo- the treasury department literally bought this every single month. And, and by doing that, they provided what's called liquidity. They, just, they, they put money into the system, basically. So they stopped buying bonds on March 9th, which is an, another way to say they took liquidity out of the market, which creates kind of a tight economy, right? That's number two. And then number three is because the Fed had purchased bonds since 2008, the Fed's balance sheet is $9 trillion, mm. right? And all the and on their balance sheet are are bonds, individual bonds that mature very short term and some mature long term. So now what they're doing is they're trying to reduce that nine trillion dollars as quickly as they can, and that's going to start in June. So those three specific things that the Fed is looking to do, it takes money out of the system, which is the complete opposite of what they've been doing since 2008, where they were putting money in the system. And when you do that, it drives interest rates higher. And it makes it very difficult for an economy to perform well in that type of environment. So stocks, what happens ultimately is stocks have a hard time really doing well in this environment because investors say, hey, you know, it looks like the Fed's going to put us into a recession. And during a recession, stocks go down from top to bottom, 30, 30, 30 to 40%, even more sometimes. So I'm going to hold off on buying stocks. In fact, I'm going to sell my stocks and wait and see what happens. 
So that's exactly what's happening. Hopefully it wasn't too complex the way I laid it out. No, explained so well, so well. You know, it, it occurred to me as you were you were explaining this, I mean, I know you've worked for very large firms and you went out on your own and yeah. started your own firm. Um, how or what was the relationship with money that you felt was, um, you know, what was missing in that relationship with money that your clients were having? And, and how have you tried to help them have a better relationship with money? You're talking about overall or based on what's going on today? Just based on overall, overall better relationship yeah. with money. So the the challenge is in, in today's environment, as an example, is so in a good environment, clients are very happy because they see their money growing. When you go through a challenging time like we're going through today, the first thing that pops into the client's mind is I'm going to lose it all, right? Or am I going to lose it all? Mm-hmm. Because they believe that the stock market's going to go to zero. So, you know, what I've always tried to do in training and coaching my clients through the years in terms as it relates to in their money and what it's going to do for them it's to really help them understand ultimately what's their, what's their vision for their life, number one, right? What's their vision for their life as they think about their life for the rest of their life, that's number one. And number two, what is your number? In other words, what does it cost to make that vision happen, right? So let's say, for example, I talked to a client whose name is Mr. Smith, as an example, and Mr. Smith likes to go on vacation four times per year. You know, they have a boat that they love. They join, they're part of a country club and they enjoy playing golf. They may have a home in Florida. All of that costs something, right, Christina? Right. So, so ultimately, in order to keep up that lifestyle, you have to invest your money so it earns a certain return to be able to accomplish that vision. So, what I, so when I try to coach my clients through understanding money and, and really investing, is helping them understand, okay, here's your vision, here's your number, here's what it costs to accomplish your vision. You have to invest your money and keep it invested and get a rate of return of somewhere north of 4 or 5% in order to be able to achieve that. So when you go through tough times like today, I remind them, if you sell now, you don't know where the bottom is, and if markets go up from here, you can miss out on that, which means you can lose out on the return you need in order to accomplish your vision. And ultimately, they get that and understand that, and that's what keeps them on track. So tell me if this is a good analogy. It seems from talking to you that, you know, in working for maybe a very large firm, you have kind of an off the rack attitude toward investing. Whereas when you can take it and build something of your own, you're more of a custom tailor to help your clients. Would that be accurate? Uh, Sort of. So I would say the best way to think about it, you know, coming from a bigger firm to where I am now, it's really more of a boutique feel in terms of how I serve my clients, number one. Number two, there are no conflicts of interest in working with the big banks because big banks, they have have products within their banks that they want you to push on your clients, right? And 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 that's a conflict of interest because, for example, if a client calls me up and says, hey, Phil, I need a mortgage, I was only able to offer them UBS's mortgage, but maybe Bank of America had a better deal or Bethpage Credit Union had a better deal. So that limited me in terms of how I could serve my clients to the best, to the maximum capacity, right? So when I came off on my own, not only did they get that boutique feel that people love, number one, but number two, they know that when they come to me with anything, that I'm out there shopping around for the best possible deal, anything and how I invest their money, there's no conflicts. So I'm basically put together a product for my clients here that is all about them. There are no conflicts. So when new prospects come to meet me who don't know me, they could put that wall down because they know that with any, any advice that I'm giving them that I genuinely feel 
it's what's best for them. Versus at the bigger banks, who are publicly traded in, in the market, you know, what do they have to do? They're fiduciaries to their shareholders. They need to do what? They need to increase profitability so their stock price goes up. Well, how do they do that? Well, if you got a if you got a herd of financial advisors or brokers, you know, working for your bank, what do these executives do in their boardroom? They say, well, we got sixteen thousand financial brokers. Let's try to push them in selling credit cards. Let's try to push them in selling mortgages to our clients. Because if they do that, that'll increase profitability, which will be great for the bottom line and increase stock price, right? So it's like this: you become these these advisors in these firms become sheep. And I was I never bought into that. That's probably why I ended up at three different firms before I started my own firm. Mm-hmm. But that's 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 you know that's when clients come and work with me here. You know they really get that great boutique. I mean you know what it's like, right? If you go to a high end hotel. You know, a boutique hotel, you know, a local major city, it's such an incredible feel, you know, versus something that is, you know, that, that kind of works with everybody. And it's like a you know, rotating door type thing. Right. So, you know. You know? You, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. So I know that um, you played lacrosse in college competitively and, um, you know, you have a competitive mindset, obviously you have your own show now and you've kind of expanded into more, into doing thought leadership as well as working with money. What attracted you to the financial industry? What was it that, you know, and, and how has, how did what you learned in lacrosse and and that competitive spirit help you? Yeah. So, so first, I never, so when I was, for example, like five or six years old, I never thought, hey, I want to become a, a financial advisor, right? It's not, it's not something that ever popped in my head, but what I did pop in my head was that I enjoyed people a lot. I enjoyed being, being with people. I enjoyed uh, asking people questions. I was curious about people. And even, I mean, even now when I talk to people and I, you know, I'm curious about how do they live their life? What do they do day to day? What do they enjoy doing? So I've always loved being around people, right? So I always knew that being a financial advisor is a very personal type business, especially when you're handling people's money. There's no nothing more personal than that. So when I kind of thought about that, I said, gosh, you know, my brother was at Merrill Lynch at the time, and I spoke to my brother about the business, and I thought the financial markets was kind of a, you know, fun and cool thing and very interesting environment. The, the economy I found, I found fascinating and how it relates to markets. And, and the whole thing was just fascinating to me on top of enjoying people. And, and then when I thought about like, gosh, what do you really do as a wealth manager? It's like, you're really serving people just like any other businesses serve people, but in a real personal way. And I just absolutely fell in love with that idea. Um, and it, and it always interests me. And, and the idea, the fact, the idea that every day, as I think about my clients, when they're living their life, whether it's, you know, they're golfing or playing tennis or going to nice restaurants or traveling, going to their vacation home and, doing all the things that they enjoy doing and they're doing that because I'm, and I'm helping them accomplish that and helping them do that and providing them the peace of mind to not worry about money because Phil's got it and I can go out there and live my life the way I love to live my life. Like just knowing that that's what I do for people is amazing. Right. So, so that's ultimately what, what has propelled me to to get where where I'm at today in terms of, in terms of the business, in terms of lacrosse, that's a great question, right? You know, the thing about being a Division One lacrosse player or a Division One athlete is you have to have a certain competitive mindset to get to that level. There's no doubt about it. You don't just naturally get there. It took a lot of work and, and effort to get to that point. So, you know, as a financial advisor, when I think about performance and I think about risk and I think about portfolio management and I think about the other parts of wealth management, which is taxation and estate planning, charitable giving, family governance, asset protection, 
I want to put together the best product possible because that's just my competitive nature. And I'm not just saying that to say that, but that's really what I strive for every single day. Like let's take today for example, right? Like every single day I wake up, I say to myself, with this recent downturn that we're experiencing today, did I do a good job protecting my clients? So that, that's my competitive mind, right? Mm -hmm. So did I do a good job protecting my clients? And I can honestly say, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I can honestly say that based on every move that I made over the past three, four, six months, I positioned my clients in the right way to protect them from this downside. I'm more thinking now, believe it or not, okay, when am I stepping back in to ramp up risk? So that's kind of, I'm like way ahead of this is my point, right? So, and that has to do with just being that competitive division one athlete that, that I was. That's such a good analogy. And, and I find that with people that I interview that were competitive athletes in pretty much any sport, there is that, that, uh, not only the competitive nature, but also the strategy mindset because every sport, right. you know, takes strategy. Correct. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's all, it's, it's all about that. I mean, even as I coach kids now, as, as you know, you know, it's all about, you know, strategy and teaching them strategy. Once they develop the fundamental skill set to catch and throw and ground balls and things like that. But then the next level of that is like chess. Okay. Well, if I get the ball, if I catch the lacrosse ball, what's my next move? What am I doing with the ball? As soon as I catch it, what am I doing? Am I drawing by my guy? Or am I passing it to my, one of my teammates so they can score? So it's always about life is like chess investing is like chess sports is like chess right chess is not what's my next move chess is what's my next move of my next move of my next move it's always thinking three or four moves out not just your next move right and that's how we all have to think from a mindset standpoint that's why i just said to you like people are worried about what should i do with my money now as the market's going i'm thinking i already made that move six months ago <laughs> three months ago now i'm thinking like okay what's my next move as we recover yeah, what's that old Gretzky quote to be where the puck is going? I, oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's um, one of my favorite. It's so true though. It really it really is. You you can see it with some of these people that are ultra successful. Uh Tom Brady, I mean, greatest of all time. You think Tom Brady's thinking about his next move? He's thinking three or four moves out before anybody's thinking even about their next move. That's right. the difference. You heard Fox snapped him up, right? He's going to be, whenever he retires, whenever that is, uh, he's going to be like their main analyst. For who? For, for, who? for Fox. Yeah, they just signed oh, Fox right? Sports. Yeah. Yeah, they just, it just, oh, it just wow. happened like in the last, or announced like in the last 24 hours. So oh, that's really cool. Yeah. You have expanded uh, so much. You're now doing the show. You do a lot of writing, uh, you know, like I said, kind of moving into that thought leadership uh, as you continue yeah. to build your business. What do you have in your life now that you want more of? Hmm. You know, as I think about my life and I think about my clients, the one thing that my clients if you ask me if what's the number one thing, number one thing clients want to maintain, it's their lifestyle. My clients love their lifestyle. That's all they care about. They want to make sure, not that all they care about. They care about the children and obviously the grandchildren and things like that. But besides the regular things people would say, they love their lifestyle and they want to be able to maintain their lifestyle. And for me, you know, where I'm standing now, Christina, I want, I love my lifestyle, everything about it. I don't want to lose that. So. So maintaining that is really, really, really important to me, you know, and, and my goal with my practice is I'd love to get to $1 billion in assets under management over the next three to four years. Mm. And I would love to be the Charles Schwab of that next generation, 
right? And so like Palumbo, you know, being a real name out there and recognized nationally is, is definitely a goal of mine. Um, so that's, that's where I like to be. And I, and I think of it, I have three boys, like, you know, and my thought, my thought is if one or two can get into the business, you know, this can be a multi-generational business that maybe one day Palumbo can be a national brand. So that's my goal. Well, with three, you have good odds there that one of them will be interested. (laughs) (laughs) I do. As you look at uh, young people, you know, there are a lot of young people right now that can't buy a house. Houses are, you know, just so expensive right now. Um, Wages are not keeping up with inflation right now. Being being, uh, young and starting out your life, just having graduate college is, uh, there are challenges that perhaps you and I did not have financially that are just with the existing within the uh, market now. What would be your top suggestion for a young person starting out in terms of what they can do now to give themselves some power later in life financially? There are three things. It's saving number one, saving number two, and saving number three. If you don't learn how to save your money, you will never, ever get ahead in life. And I'm telling you because I personally have made mistakes in that area. And when I look back, that is without a doubt a skill set, just like writing and just like reading, that people have to learn. You have to learn that no matter how much you make, if you make a dollar an hour, you should learn how to save 20 to 50 cents of that. It shouldn't be when I make a million dollars a year, that's when I'm going to start saving. It should be as soon as I start to earn money, I have to learn how to save money because saving money is the hardest part. Investing it and putting money to work is not easy, but once you, if you learn how to save and you can then invest your money in real estate and stocks and do that over multiple decades, you're going to amass millions of dollars. I had this prospect, prospective client come into one of my events one time. This is, I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago, right? And he came in and he seemed like disheveled looking the way he appeared in terms of dress. And, you know, his hair was kind of disheveled and he sits down in front of me. Uh, very nice guy. And then he brought his portfolio and he had two and a half million dollars, right? And I said, I said, that's really terrific. And I started going through the planning process and I got to the point where I asked people about their income. I said, tell me about your income. And he was about, I don't know, maybe 60 years old. He goes, Phil, I made on average $35,000 my whole entire life. So he made $35,000 his whole entire life, but yet he's got a $2.5 million portfolio. Wow. So it's two two things. Number one, and the most important, he saved his money and he invested in the stock market from day one. Okay, save. Uh, Let's talk about, let's move a little further generationally. Folks who are like in their 40s and 50s. So retirement's still a while away. Um, They've been doing and saving as much as they can. What are some things they need to keep in mind right now as we go through this next turn in our market? Yeah, so I'm trying to really get people to change change their mindset as as people think about retirement. I think people should retire the word retirement. That's the first thing people should do, number one. And number two, you shouldn't say to yourself, oh, when I'm 60 or 62 or 65 or 70, when I receive Social Security or a specific pension, that I'm going to stop working and retire, right? I don't think people should think that way. I think people should kind of kind of archaic way to think. You should say to yourself, at what point in my life can I get to a point where work is optional? Meaning that you saved enough money and you invested your money properly or wisely that you'll be able to throw off enough cash flow to live your lifestyle if you decide to work away from work. 
mm-hmm. or you you love what you do so much that you continue to working, but you know that you don't have to work anymore, or you work part time doing something that you always wanted to do to get away from the grind. So everybody's goal in life should get should the mindset should be how quickly can I get to a point where work is optional for me, right? And what do I need to do to get there, right? And that all comes down to what's your number, how much money you spend on a monthly basis. And then you back in how much money you need to save over that period of time, which will throw up certain throw off certain cash flow. So, so that should be the mindset for everybody. Don't wait till you're 60 or 65 to travel to Italy or Spain or somewhere. Like you should, because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you should always have the mindset, and that's why saving is so important and investing properly in risk assets. You got to invest in risk assets, stocks, real estate, as an example to really compound and grow your money over time. You can't leave money in cash, just enough to, for emergency purposes. Other than that, everything should be fully invested in risk assets. And so you get older, then you get a little you know, less, less aggressive, obviously, right? So that should be, Christina, the mindset for everybody as they think about themselves. Forget about that word, I'm gonna retire here, retire, think I'm gonna, I want work to be optional, and what age does it take, and then I'll make a decision what I wanna do from there. I love hearing that. I mean, I think it's such, it's such, it's so spot on because I know as I've entered my early fifties, there's this like little, uh, sense of panic inside me, not, not panic financial, but panic. Like there right, are things yeah. that I want to do and I don't know how much time I have left. I need to, right. I need to do them now. I need to take that trip to Greece. I need to, you know, make sure that I'm, I that my money's working for me so that I can do the things I want to do while I'm feeling healthy and strong. That's exactly right. And that's how everybody should be thinking it. Again, you've got to be smart about it. You can't just, you know, if you can't afford to do it, you can't do it. Yeah. Right. But I'm saying, that, but the goal is, you know, when you, you, you should try to push to, Save and accumulate, invest properly so you can enjoy life at a younger age rather than waiting till you're older because you don't even know if you're going to get there. We know tremendous horror stories that are going on out there, right? So, so I, I just think people should, you know, everybody's living for the future and nobody lives for the present. And, and a lot of what I'm saying is about I want people to live in the present. That's what's so important to me. And, and you know, money, un, unfortunately, is the engine behind being able to do that. So that's why at a younger age, you got to learn the value of saving and investing. Again, I'm telling you, I am not perfect. I've made mistakes, but I'm, but because I made those mistakes, I'm able to share this with people. So you don't make those mistakes and you get to a great point. I mean, fortunately, I'm in a great position financially and all that type of stuff, but I'm just saying, I, you know, if I, if I, I didn't know this back then, but knowing what I know now, it makes a tremendous difference. You have to do a lot of creative thinking because there are so many different um, different things people want, that they want out of their lives and how they want to set up their lives. And I know you're helping them uh, with their money to do that. But when you feel depleted creatively, what is a habit or something that you do that kind of helps replenish your creativity? I ask all of my guests this because I always find the answer so interesting. Uh, what do you do? The habit of my success by far, so by the way, I've tried everything. I've tried the meditation thing and all that type of stuff. I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm too busy to do so many things, right? <laughs> I always feel like these, these strategies out there, you can be busy three hours executing strategies a day and you get nothing done with work. So I've done kind of, that's kind of the conclusion I came to. What's really helped me a lot in life by far is me working out in the morning. So I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm at the gym at 5.10. At 5.15, I start working out at 5.15. I have somebody I grew up with in high school that he and I work out together. 
And that's been my saving grace. It's almost like I'm taking medication, but I'm not taking medication. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that if I didn't work out and, you know, watch what it's, it's workout, it's diet. Again, I'm not perfect. Don't, I'm not saying I'm just like workout guru guy, but it's, it's my diet. You try to limit alcohol as much as you possibly can, you know, to keep your head clear, you know, like hangovers, like you, you should be done with that and we'll move on from that. That's like over, like, you know, have a couple glasses of wine, you know, again, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but like, you know, to, to just keep, you want to keep your, your mind uh, very straight and, and uh, always focused. And these are things that focus your mind, which event, which events, which essentially juxtaposes with your career and your daily routine, which makes you the best possible person. Yeah. Mind body connection guy. I like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. I mean, when you eat junk food, you don't work out and you gain weight and you're drinking a lot. How do you feel? Yeah. You feel like garbage. Like crap. Versus the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but that like, like crap, right? <laughs> so tell me, exactly. how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about your show, about um, what you're doing, more know more about your business? How do they reach out? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is palumbowm.com. That's P as in Peter, A-L-U-M as in Mary, B-O.com. And you can email me as soon as you get to the website. There are links to be able to do that. You could schedule an appointment with me. You could follow me on Instagram, um, on uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn, anything that I write about. I have a Palumbo Pulse, which comes out on a weekly basis, which is phenomenal. Get email to everybody Saturday morning, gives you a good briefing on it. We're very direct, Christina, about everything we do and how I feel about things. I don't hold back. I don't care that if I'm not wrong, if, if I'm not right, I feel how, how I feel. And, and that's what I'm going to tell people, right? Um, pretty accurate though, but uh, just, and so that's how people can find me. And, you know, so feel free to reach out to me anytime. Wonderful. Yeah. People love transparency and they love authenticity and you have totally. Both. And I'm so appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Look forward to speaking to you soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Phil Palumbo. You can catch him on the Phil Palumbo Show. Reach out to him through his website. He writes regularly on finance, so you, you can subscribe for content as well. A couple of things from my world at Mendonca Media. I've launched a brand new initiative based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile. It's the video version, basically a mini documentary for C-suite executives and thought leaders to help you increase reputation and reach. I'd love to work with you. You can reach out through MendonsaMedia.com. A bit of exciting news out of a recent collaboration with McLeod Media. That's my friend, Will Frampton. He has his company, McLeod Media, out of Boston. The documentary we co-produced is nominated for an Emmy. We just found out, and we should get some notification on a potential award in late June. It's called COVID Lost and Learned, and you can see the whole thing at COVIDLL.com. We worked really hard on it for over a year with amazing photographers and producers and reporters and colleagues and collaborators from around the world. And you can find out more about it at covidll.com. And reach out anytime to me through Mendonca Media. I'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback, I've started a newsletter. You can subscribe to that through my website as well. I'll be touching on topics of leadership and communications And thank you so much for spending some time with me. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you subscribe. Be on the lookout for more stories of power right here on the podcast version of The Power Profile. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through MendonzaMedia.com.